Welcome back to the uh, show, Coast to Coast to Coast. It is time to pry open the door of insight, perspective, and brilliance. And I know we call it the war room. This marks six months of the real war in Ukraine, the invasion of Russia. We So we use this term metaphorically with great deference to the heroic people of Ukraine. But it is time for our war room. Let me be perfectly clear. Putting out misinformation. And we hear that. Misleading politics. What's really important here. Spreading it online. Unequivocally. The War Room. Today, wielding their metaphorical swords is Zane Velji, the political campaign strategist and partner at Northweather. He's part of our Knights of the Round Table, alongside Tom Mulcair, a CTV political analyst, former NDP leader, who like the scene in Jaws, can kind of lift his shirt and show battle scars, good ones. It's like, oh, you, you thought that was a bite? Minor flesh wound, look at this. And Tim Powers, who sharpens swords for a living, uh, chairman of Summa Strategies, managing director of Abacus Data, and the only guy after a good joust gives you a nice drink that he is probably making a little penny on, but he gives it to you for free. Uh, Zane, Tom, Tim, hi, gents. How's things? How's Hello. the late August? Hey, Evan. Nothing happening, right? Nothing going on. <laughs> Evan, I'm sitting on the summer. top of a hill, sitting on the top of a hill, not Signal Hill, here in St. John's. The fresh air is blowing, but I feel the foul stench of this conversation will change the taste of my lungs. <laughs> wow. Wow. I know, and I've not Poetry, been drinking Tim. yet. I don't know. It's, uh, even I thought we were just going to do Shakespeare. 2.30, 2.30 in the afternoon here. No Shakespeare. Well, do you know any Shakespeare? Because uh, most of us do. Uh, that, that does I'll remind me, there know. is a quote off the top of my head from Caesar, that foul stench is what? Um, I'll remember it in a minute. Um, we're gonna, are we going to talk about Alfonso Gagliano and something in the, uh, the Denmark? Yes. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Gagliano, well, you could do that. Um, <laughs> let, let me ask you, speaking of, there is a foul there. stench, though, and, and there is a, and, and a real thing. I'm going to start with Tom on this. There is a stink. Yeah. There is a foul stench. It is a disgusting stench, and the liberals are going to wear it because yes. these guys got to pay for this. And, I, and I'll tell you, so they, the diversity minister, Ahmed Hussein, uh, had asked Canadian Heritage to look closely at what? They gave a contract of $133,000 to an open anti-Semite. Not only was Laith Maruf an open anti-Semite, and he tweeted about it multiple times, according yes. to Anthony Housefather, an MP in your neck of the woods, who I uh, yep. have uh, on background spoken to, he's admittedly openly, I knew this guy was an anti-Semite. I told the minister. The minister did nothing for a long time there until finally it blew up. What's the vetting process? How did this happen, and who's responsible? Tom. The minister is responsible in our system of government, but that seems to have gone overboard recently. Nobody seems to be responsible for anything. And we can get to that in a minute because this is, again, about whether or not, you know, our civil service in Ottawa has simply run amok. Um, I've never mentioned it, but I'm a, a senior fellow at the Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights, where my dear old friend Erwin Kotler uh, has been doing an amazing job. And he just sent us a, a note yesterday, which I just thought was fantastic. I'll just read one part of it because... I think it's the crucial question you're asking, Evan. The government and the anti-racism branch of Canadian Heritage have to, have to determine how the grant was even authorized to begin with. 
Uh, yeah. Now, of course, Kotler is singled out in the in the stuff that's been made public in the past few days. And thankfully for him, he, he decides not to repeat that. And I won't repeat any of this stuff, but it's absolutely horrific what this guy has been writing. But he's been writing it for a whole long time, as you correctly say. So how is it possible that we're giving a whole bunch of money to somebody like that? And how is it possible that you've got a whole government department that looks at this stuff and can't see any of it. it. Was it willful blindness or just sheer incompetence? I think that, unfortunately, those are about the only two options. Well, let, let's talk. First of all, the irony, um, Zane, is thick because the guy was given money to be a consultant on anti-racism and he's a racist, which is like, uh, he's an anti-Semite. This is unbelievable stuff. Two, I ask insiders, what's the vetting process? There's supposed to be yeah. one. And competence is a government killer. This, their vetting process didn't work or they didn't do it. And they look incompetent. They now look slow. Their own people are fighting. This looks like a government too tired to die. And this makes that, you remember when the foreign minister, uh, her office gave the okay for people to visit the Russian embassy in the middle of the war. What the hell's going on in government, Zane? There's a thousand ideas, but none of them matter if you can execute. That's the rule in entrepreneurship, and that's the rule in government. How many times have we talked about this, that this is a government that is, in fact, perhaps one of the best historically at symbolism, at the photo op, at being there at the right time, at the nexus of the political conversation, meeting the moment, meeting the electorate, soothing the electorate when they need And now what we have is the exact same proof point once again, a government that cannot execute, a government that cannot uh, deal with the actual work of the work, that cannot deal with the ramifications of operating. And so once again, when you have a a government that is filled with CEOs and CEO lights, and I say that as individuals with vision and what they want to do, but with no operators, This is what you end up with. You end up with, you know, very weak, if non-existing vetting processes. And what this ultimately does is undermines any symbolic win that they've had. Because guess what? This is a good tranche of work that this government should be engaged in. It's important to have an envoy of of anti-Semitism. They're recruiting one to combat Islamophobia. But hiring this individual undermines all of that, undermines and puts a chill on conversations we need to have around Growing, you know, cases of anti-Semitism, ironic, as you mentioned, Evan, that this consultant was one of them, growing cases of Islamophobia, anti-Black, anti-Asian. Now what this does is that you got a political win, but you put a chill on the work. And that has real life ramifications on how this country needs to be better for so many people. And now what ends up happening is we're delayed on that work. We're politically delayed on the work as this government has to clean up Mm. its mess on something that is so vital like so vital to so many people. I sound angry because I am angry. Like this was a good piece of work that needed to happen. And because it was operated and executed so poorly, we now actually are delayed on core stuff that is needed for mm. people in this country. Let me go to Tim. I mean, it's like saying, oh, this doctor's so committed to your health, this surgeon, but they keep dropping their car keys in the patient and sewing them up. And after the second time, you're like, I don't care how much, how committed you are. I don't want to be on the table with you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there's a cry for private medicine if there ever was one right there. Uh, but that's not the subject at the moment. Look, and, and look at this government. Earlier in the week, rightfully, they were peeing themselves with glee. Oh, picture of P. 
Pierre Polyev with uh, Jeremy McKenzie. And that, that photo, frankly, should have never have happened. And you brought lots of right criticism on all of that. But this is more than a handshake with an avowed racist. Yes. This is employing one. I mean, I don't know how you do it. And to the reporting that I've seen, House Father was telling them this. And they were so slow to act. It goes back to something Tom mentioned earlier. These guys are really at sea at the moment. They still get obsessed with their ability to generate momentary significant images, but forget the details of, of other mm. things, and leaving those details and loose ends open creates this mess that they now have, and they have no ground, no ground on which to stand in condemning Polyev and others uh, when this behavior yeah. is abhorrent. Shake hands yeah. with the devil. Heck, we hired him. Um, you yeah. know, look, I got to take a break, but I will, I will say this. You know, a government that loses sight of the details loses uh, the ability to claim competence. And then it's only made worse when incompetence is not punished by accountability. And there's no accountability and there's no explanation for incompetence. That's a problem. And, and people will remember that. And, you know, you combine that with high inflation and this government's going to walk back into the fall session and they're going to be reeling. And they're going to have a political leader, as you say, who may have his own issues uh, in uh, possibly oh. Pierre Polyev, but he is going to rightly roast the government on something that the government hasn't figured out. Uh, OK, I, I got lots more to deal with Zane, Tim and Tom. So please stick around. The War Room is back for part two. We are inside the War Room to try to digest the craziness in this country with uh, Tim Powers, Tom Mulcair, and uh, Zane Velge. Uh, Zane, can you just explain to me, and I'll start with you, on Danielle Smith, who is running to replace Jason Kenney, could well be the next premier. Uh, She's been on this show before, former talk radio host. She has a her political career was, um, I'm going to lead the Wild Rose. I'm going to join the PC party. I'm going to get dumped now. Don't worry. Trust me now. And now she published an op-ed saying, ah, oh, the Alberta Sovereignty Act. I've proposed it's constitutional and uh, it's going to protect Alberta rights. Uh, what is it? And does it have any constitutional merit or is this just pure politics? It is pure politics. It's pure gaslighting is what it is, because she's called it the Sovereignty Act to incubate and welcome those in the UCP membership and bring those that feel disenfranchised to sign up, support her campaign. But she then writes a piece, as she did uh, just a couple days ago in the National Post, where she says, Alberta sovereignty is a constitutional right. This federal government, they're lawless. But in fact, when you read the details, she is gaslighting us. And when I say us, I mean Albertans and frankly, Canadians writ large, because It is unconstitutional because it proposes that the provincial legislature, so the Alberta legislature, could decide, could unilaterally decide what, if any, federal uh, law is an intrusion upon our provincial jurisdiction. And just on that reading alone, this is unconstitutional. We know that. She knows that. But the fact is, it's such a great political tool for her in two ways, to onboard members that may not necessarily see themselves, to extend uh, this continued narrative against Ottawa and amp that up to a thousand. And third, 
you know, I, I said there's two. I'll add a third one. She is taking up all the oxygen, Evan, in this race. No one else has been able to grab a single headline, a single issue. She's taking all the airspace away, and she's suffocating everyone else out in this race. And for her, she's fine with that. If on the other side, she can say, listen, it's constitutional. It's totally fine. Uh, she absolutely knows it isn't. This end justifies the mean stuff. It just drives me crazy. Anything to win it's in politics. Wild. And it drives me crazy. It's a new thing. It breaks a lot of convention. Tom, I sent this to you to get your reaction yeah. as she muddies the legal and political <laughs> points you're a lawyer and a recovering politician i don't think she i mean she muddies the water in a way that i think is is, is very dangerous absolutely and <laughs> she plays fast and loose with the truth i mean you read this thing so trudeau responded with a ban on tanker traffic and no no more pipelines act hey Trudeau spent $20 billion buying a pipeline and she's saying he's landlocked us. Come on. You know, the truth that must out at some point. And then she says, and then we saw the cancellation of energy East and the tech frontier mine tech withdrew that proposal. And it's not because of Trudeau. It was no longer economically viable. Yeah, the world's changing. Right. And, but she, I think it would be a big mistake to underestimate uh, Danielle Smith, because I've had a chance to, to speak with her and, and I've, now, I realize that she's, a, you know, she's crazy like a fox. I mean, she's running the same campaign to the same base as Pierre Poilievre. You're going to tell me I'm crazy? Guess what? My base wants crazy. And here's the Sovereignty Act. She's far too smart not to know that this thing won't fly. But she's, you know, she's trying to stake out that turf. I'm going to be the only one fighting for Alberta. I know that sentiment because I lived it from a series of Quebec politicians throughout my political career. I know how the game is played. And basically, and she even winks at it at some point. She goes, hey, I'm going to do like Quebec. And she knows the game and she's going to play it in Alberta. She'll probably win. And then we'll see, you know, she'll win the leadership. We'll see. Maybe it'll be the best news ever for Rachel Notley, the fact that Smith gets in, because maybe she will be too polarizing for the average Alberta voter. But, but Tim, let's take it on a bigger scale. First of all, Quebec had referendum to get a mandate. Two, this, 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 Danielle Smith, if she becomes premier, is not even elected, right? She's inheriting it. So she has, doesn't even have a mandate from anybody other than conservative members. Two, um, it's not constitutional. But what does it tell you that these are the kind of things that are connecting to replace a guy like Jason Kenney, who was a strong federalist for a long time? Well, it, it reminds you that people are still angry, and they're more angry this summer. You travel, you try to travel, you try to get health care. So, they're, you know, she, Pierre Polyev, they're playing off anger. And this stuff isn't really super new. Tom talked about Quebec. You guys will all remember Brian Peckford here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We were going to nationalize our oil. We were going to control our fisheries. We were going to run all of that. And all of a sudden, we were going to be better. Damn, Ottawa. We were going to do it in a different way than Daniel Smith is proclaiming. But at the time, it was understood that it was, you know, giving Ottawa the Trudeau senior salute. Uh, and what happened to Peckford? What's happening to Jason Kenney? They all got kicked out mm. on their backsides in embarrassment, run out of town. Brian Peckford hasn't been in Newfoundland for 40 years. Years. He got run out of here so badly. So Daniel Smith and others, Pierre, need to remember it's hard to deliver when you make these promises and you play off people's anger. And when you don't deliver them quickly or substantively, that anger turns on you. Western universities mandated booster dose masks to get back. It's very controversial. Um, uh, let's do a quick uh, three or four minute go around. Zane, are they... My sense is they may have science behind them, but I believe in, in, given where we are, being inconsistent 
with the rest of the province where they function within, I think uh, will hurt compliance uh, and, and help the protest. And when we really need compliance in a genuine emergency, I think this kind of overzealous inconsistency doesn't help, uh, even if there is some science behind it. Your take. Yeah, I, I would actually have to agree with that. You know, if you asked me a year ago, I'd be science all the way. But there's so many human elements that are now presenting themselves. Like, let's look at a practical one for Western University. They announced this hastily after the tuition deadline where students had to already kind of pay. And you then look at, you know, what students have been through from an education perspective of the last number of years. And now you have a real understanding as some of that data comes out in terms of cost benefit. You know, we we have ultimately signaled to the world that we're ready to live with this thing, that we're trying our best to protect ourselves with vaccinations, that that the majority of us, the, the vast majority of us have received vaccinations. At some point, you know, people are expecting some sense of normalcy, stability. And I think what Western did here may not have been the wrong scientific move, but the way they communicated, which to me, and I'm speculating here, seems like a hasty board decision that was mandated on leadership, uh, it seems to be. Uh, not the way to do things when people are desperate, desperate mm. for any sense of stability. The runway here was wrong. The communications was wrong. They needed to give more people t- people more time if they wanted to do it. Uh, Tom and Tim, real quick. The numbers are going up really quickly. We had 26 deaths announced here today in Quebec. So you can see that we're heading into probably another wave as everybody goes back to school. You can't blame people for trying to do everything they possibly can to keep others safe. I'm with Zane with regard to compelling uh, vaccinations when at at the very least if you just look at the objective evidence having the masks on until things do settle down is probably something that nobody can complain against i'd go that route rather than trying to compel people to get more vaccinations if they haven't uh, planned on doing that yeah i i think they got people got to be very careful after more than two years of this tim Look, uh, like I said, there's a, a few times here in Newfoundland, the Memorial University has said if you want to go into class, you have to wear a mask. I think the University of Toronto said the same thing. I haven't heard them say anything about vaccinations. I think they will stop at masks. Uh, I don't think of compelling people to get their boosters if they don't have them will work and it will inflame circumstances. But I think you can sell it on masks as people do still seem to be wearing them as they get a sense that things mm-hmm. are changing. How, how is it in the rock? Give us a sense. You're out there, Tim. Uh, you're enjoying the. You live the good life. Uh, like just <laughs> after this, given that you're in, in Newfoundland Labrador, you're at home. What do you do just immediately after the show in our last minute? Is it just like all just? Is it just some great bacchanalian orgy out there? What's happening? <laughs> I, I go uh, get a big windmill and start getting the hydrogen ready for the Germans. Uh, that was the big day here yesterday. And the day before, we had the Stanley Cup running around. It's been a good week for Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah, no, Evan, tonight, just kick around by the fire, because you still have to put that on in the summer, you I, know, and listen but, to my mother's salty language, and you know she has more salt than the Atlantic oh my, Ocean. Oh, my God. She's, uh, she's, she's, <laughs> no, she's salty. Uh, okay, uh, Zane, Tom, Tim, and we should have picked up on uh, the National Post not wrong. Canada should have been on the LNG revolution 10 years ago. We're behind the curve, and Germany and others are paying the price for it. Uh, Zane, Tom, Tim, great stuff. Um, Thanks so much, gents. Enjoy the last tail end of the summer.